Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about aligning ourselves with the will of God. This is our third lesson, and this is the theme also connected with what we've been talking about this year, this upcoming year, is really preparing ourselves also for the return of our Lord, because he's coming back for a church without spot and wrinkle, right? A church without blemish. Are you ready to receive the truth of God's word this morning? Is your heart open to the truth of God's word this morning? Do we believe that we'll be changed by the word that we hear this morning? All right. We've already talked about the fact that God wants us to align ourselves with his will, which is that all men be saved. Are you saved this morning? That's where you've begun, aligning yourself with the will of God. But also went on to say, and coming to the knowledge of the truth. Are you a student of God's word? Are you disciplined, a student of the word of God so that you can gain the knowledge of the truth? It's not just being saved, but it's being saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because it's the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Well, I thought I was already free if I've been born again. Well, you are. You're free from the spiritual death and the eternal separation from God. But you're not free from the contaminants of this world. You're not free from all the things that are going around every single one of us trying to distract us and get us away from God. So we've got to come to the knowledge of the truth. Otherwise, we're going to be living with our own mindset, the way we think, etc. And God gave us his word to do what? Straighten out our thinking. Okay, so then next we said it's also important we understand the will of God with regard to being filled with the Holy Ghost. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, it's the will of God that we be filled with the Holy Ghost, number two. Number three is that we maintain a spirit-filled life. Ephesians chapter 5 says, this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. What? That you're not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be being filled with the Spirit. Initially, you're, you're filled with the Spirit, or you're, say, baptized with the Spirit. But then there are many infillings after that. Be being filled with the Spirit. That's a part of His will for our lives. He makes it very clear. That's what He says. And then the, the next thing we talked about, the fourth thing we talked about, was our sanctification. And we saw in uh, God's Word that teaches us that his will is our sanctification, that we know how to possess our vessels, that this man on the outside, in sanctification and honor. So we believe that the Bible teaches sanctification, which sanctify means to set apart for a holy purpose, to set apart for holy use. You know, he said, oh, look, I'm holy, you be holy. Well, when it comes to being holy, let's continue our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We know that there is inward holiness, which is our positional holiness. But then there's practical holiness, which is external. Getting what's on the inside to the outside. Now notice this verse that Paul proclaims by the Spirit of God. Now, this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. May the God of peace sanctify, notice, may himself sanctify you. Notice that next word, completely. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and, what's that next word? Whoa blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Wow, what a word. Blameless. God wants us to be blameless. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be set apart and sanctified for his use. Well, the spirit of man we know is born again. When you're born again, you're washing the blood of the lamb. You can't get holier than that. But this man on the inside needs to have expression to the outside. And so the soul of man needs to be dealt with as well. And the mind is to be renewed to the word of God. So why? So as to clean up the way we think. You know, God's ways and thoughts are much higher than ours. So we've got to clean up the way we think. You know, we think wrong a lot of the times. We probably think wrong most of the time. God gave us his word to straighten out our thinking so we can have our mind thinking the way he wants us to think. And that's called holy thinking. Well, then he wants it to manifest in our bodies. The body needs to be ready for this word, crucified. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Crucified. Kept under, Paul said. He himself said, I've got to keep under my flesh daily. Do you have to keep under your flesh daily? Your flesh doesn't want to do what God wants it to do. And so it will rebel at times. And so what we have to do is keep it under, crucify it. In other words, don't allow it to control our lives. And we see these verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's read them. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual duty. And be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect what? Will of God. It is the will of God that we present our bodies to God. You realize that's a daily thing? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. How often? Daily. daily. So daily, we got to turn it over to him and just say, I don't want this body of mine to have uh, control of my life and full expression in my life. I'm committing it to you. I'm sacrificing this flesh of mine so that I can please you, honor you, and be blameless in your presence. And so this on the inside is holiness, but it's got to get to the outside and manifest in our conduct, our character, our attitudes, the way we think, and the way we believe and speak. So all those things really come together to make the man completely whole. So what's on the inside has got to get to the outside, and that's called holiness. Now, notice that we're blameless and I wrote out some scriptures here that you can look at with me uh, as far as being preserved blameless. Let's look at these scriptures together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. These are all from the NIV version of the Bible. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be wonderful? When he comes for you and you are, he finds you what? Blameless. blameless. Hallelujah. Without blame. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Let's look at that one. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he goes on and talks about being in love. But anyhow, look at the next one. First Thessalonians chapter 2. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Next one, Titus. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient since an overseer manages God's household. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness and not violent, nor not pursuing dishonest gain. Okay, notice the word blameless in there again. But then you got the book of Psalms. Look at the book of Psalms chapter 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is whose walk is blameless. You know, walk is the way we conduct ourselves in this life. Isn't that something? One whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth, 
from their heart. And then finally, this next one is really a compelling scripture. Look at 2 Peter, Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, talking about the renovation of the earth by fire, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, he's writing to believers. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth with, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, are you looking forward to that? Make a half-hearted attempt. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Whoa, you think he's uh, concerned about our walk in the earth, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live our lives. You know how easy it is to really give our control over to the flesh, to live the way the flesh wants to live, to think the way the flesh wants to think, to do those things. But God is saying, look, you've got my life and nature on the inside. You've got my holiness on the inside. And now make every effort to get what's on the inside to the outside. Now, here's where the tricky part comes. And we talked about this in the last meeting. You got the legalists on this side that say you've got to do group these works. You got Christ, you need Christ, but good works to be saved. That's wrong. And then you got the libertarians on this side. And what do they say? They say is, hey, it's all by grace. I got the teaching on grace. I know it's all about grace. And so it doesn't matter. Every sin is already covered, cleansed by the blood, past, present, and future. And that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there is a straight and narrow here that says this. You're saved by grace through faith. Are you saved? By faith in grace. That's how you're saved. But now you're still left on planet Earth. Right? And you're wearing those sandals. The ancient sandals. And you're walking dusty roads while you're on the earth. Okay. You need to walk down the straight and narrow with your life and live such a way so as to be holy without spot and blameless. And so when we do err along the way, aren't you glad he made provision in the word that says, if you confess your sin, he'll forgive you and cleanse you? So in other words, sin is nothing to toy with. Sin is something to take seriously. Right? And I pray once again your heart is open because this what I'm about to share with you is really deep and serious this morning. Is that okay with you? Do you want to know the truth? Or do you want to have your ears tickled with something that says that sounds good to me because, you know, I can now live the way I want to live. Ha, ha, ha. No. You want the truth? You ready for it? Why should we be serious about our walk with the Lord and walking in holiness and be spotless and blameless before him? Well, look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, verses 7 through 9 from the New Living Translation. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with one, only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. 
it's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the hell a fire of hell. Who said those words? Jesus said those words. Do you think he takes sin seriously? Mm -hmm. So in other words, whatever is the cause the temp that causes the temptation to sin, cut it off. Get rid of it. Now, we know he wasn't speaking literally, but some do take it literally. In Saudi Arabia, there is a place of execution. It's called Dira Square. And some call it Justice Square. And others call it Chop Chop Square. And in that place, if you are guilty of, let's say, a minor crime and it's a first offense, maybe you were found, and this is true, you were found in a drunken state on the street. If you were found maybe to swipe a peach from a fruit stand or something like that, you were brought to Deer Square, Chop Chop Square, and then you were whipped on your back for the crime you committed. Well, if you committed something like, for example, adultery, you were brought to the square and you were beheaded. If you continued robbing and got caught, and because it was now your second or third offense, then your arm was placed on the chopping block and they would chop off your hand at your wrist. And because, of course, you'd be bleeding, they would stick it then in a vat of boiling oil to cauterize it. And these lists of crimes, for example, let me think, I, I looked it up and it was in the year 2022, last year, on March the 12th of 2022, 81 were executed publicly, beheaded for the crimes that they committed. A crime could be um, like an act of terrorism or a terroristic threat or something like that or committing murder and so on. Well, what was the result of all that? There's a very low crime rate in Saudi Arabia. Rape is unheard of. A rare situation. Even stealing is rare. Can you imagine if we took these same principles and applied them in Chicago? You see, that the fear is what? Their fear is of the government. Fear is for the government. I'd rape you, but I know what's going to happen to me if I do. I'm decapitated. I'd steal that piece, but I know what's going to happen because it's my second offense. My wrist is going to be cut off. Jesus said sin is so bad. He had to catch the guy that was healed in the, in the temple, in the synagogue, and say, now go and sin no more, lest the worst thing happen to you. Remember that? So sin is nothing to toy with. It's nothing to fool around with, even in the natural world that we live in, where we have some countries still do this. And it, what's, what's it going to do? Reduce the crime rate. People are afraid to commit a crime like that. So out of reverential fear for the government, they don't do it. Isn't this amazing how you can control yourself when you're facing something like that? 
as a consequence. Well, Jesus is telling us that's how sincere we should be towards sin. Sin is a serious thing. If your eye offends you, causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter eternal life with one eye than enter it to in eternity in the lake of fire with a complete body. You see the point he's making to us? You know, and so we should view sin the same way. That we should have such a reverential fear for God, a reverence for God, and a love and respect for Jesus who shed his blood for us. That's how serious sin is, that he died for us to do what? Deliver us from the dominion of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you is the mindset that we should have. It's not a mindset that just says, it's all covered under grace, so it really doesn't, I don't have to put forth any effort whatsoever. It doesn't really matter what case it is. If I do it, I do it. God will forgive me. That is a terrible attitude towards sin. The attitude should be what? We should draw from the power of God on the inside of us and declare to the Spirit of God every single day, may the spirit of obedience rest upon me every day of my life, empowering me to apply the blood of Jesus to my life, to cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Cleanse my ways, cleanse my thoughts, help me in thought, word, and deed. Be blameless before you. Will you miss the mark along the way? Absolutely you will. But you're not among the libertarians that say it doesn't matter. Not among the illegalists that say that's what's going to save me. What you say is, my Savior died for me, and I want to honor him. And I want him to change me from glory to glory. So that in my conduct, character, and attitude, I represent who he is. And his life lives in me and through me. And that's why I don't want to be engaged in that. And if I am, thank God for the blood of Jesus in any way. Now, roll up your sleeves because this is a biggie. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. We're going to read three different translations of these verses. Because those that have, in, in my opinion, incorrectly taught, once saved, always saved, don't know what to do with these verses. And I know a minister who I highly respect, have high regard for, listened to all his tapes on eternal security. And when he got to the end of his, all his these tapes I listened to, he said, now the only ones that I can't explain in this teaching are these. And I'm thinking, well, then why not explain them? Why not look at them and see what they say? Okay, let's read them first. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, to, to come, to renew, if they shall fall away, to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put into an open shame. Now, when they read these scriptures, they'll say, well, see, they were never saved. Well, let's look at another translation and see what it says. When you find men who have been enlightened, who have experienced salvation, uh, let me back that up. When you find men who have been enlightened, who have experienced salvation, would you call them saved? I would. This is the J.B. Phillips translation, which is a very good, very good Greek translation. Okay, now notice who have experienced salvation and received the Holy Spirit. I wasn't saved for 24 years, never received the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you weren't saved? No, I didn't either who have known the wholesome nourishment of the word of God and touched the spiritual resources of the eternal world and who then fall away. That word, a fall away, if you look it up in the Greek, it's apostatize. 
Apostasy means a Christian, one who was a Christian who then re rejects Christ after having become a Christian. And they repent. Okay, it's, if they fall away, it proves impossible to make them repent as they did at first. For they are re-crucifying the Son of God in their own souls and by their conduct exposing Him to shame and contempt. Now look at the next one. This is God's Word translation. Some people once had God's light. They experience the heavenly gift. Who's the heavenly gift? Isn't Jesus the gift, unspeakable gift of God? God so loved the world that he gave his son. Notice the word experienced. They experienced him, the heavenly gift. And they shared in the Holy Spirit. They experienced the goodness of God's word and the powers of the world to come. Yet they have deserted Christ. They are crucifying the Son of God again and publicly disgracing Him. Therefore, they cannot be led a second time to God. Would you call this is uh, pretty deep? And let me explain. This, is, this isn't something a baby Christian can commit. But we need to be aware of what's going on here. Paul, I, I believe it was Paul, but... Some say we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but it doesn't really matter. The Holy Ghost is the writer of the book of Hebrews. So I will just say the Holy Ghost said here that it is impossible for people who have come to Christ, accepted Him as their Savior, filled with the Holy Ghost, a partaker of it, tasted the Word of God, etc., etc., it's impossible to renew them again. The second time. And the reason is because they to themselves crucify the Son of God. Now in writing this, he's writing to Hebrew Christians. We don't understand the persecution that the Hebrew Christians went through. We don't live. We didn't live during that time. But if you lived during that time, you remember a man named Saul of Tarsus? You remember how he had papers in his hands? And you remember he went looking house to house, synagogue to synagogue? If they went, anybody, anybody who said, I am a Christian... What did he do with them? He found them, got them, put them in jail, waited for them to be either beheaded or renounce Jesus Christ and his blood shed for their redemption. We don't understand what it means to live in that kind of persecution, do we? No, but that's what they were tempted to do, to go back, renounce Christ, and go back into Judaism. It would have been a whole lot easier. And guess what? Your own mother and father would turn you in as well. That's how much Christ was hated among the Jewish people. Nothing to do. You saw what they did to him. Now, these people who name Christ, you're either all in or you're all out. And many of them were getting to the point where was such, there was such persecution that they would go back into Judaism. But you have to renounce the blood of Jesus if you do. Now, now, listen to this. It doesn't just happen because you're a baby Christian and you, like Peter, said, I don't know him. I don't even know. Remember, Peter said, I don't know him. Three times, right? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And how many times did Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, right? Okay. So, here it is. You're just saved. You can't commit that. You have to be saved was number one. 
Uh, let's start at the beginning. You have to be enlightened, first of all. You know what enlightenment it means? You have a ray of light that came to you. In other words, you were under conviction that I need saved. That's where it starts. But then, two, you tasted. You experienced the heavenly gift. You experienced, taste and see the Lord is good. You experienced Jesus. That's number two. And then you were made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, a companion of the Holy Ghost, an associate of the Holy Ghost. I don't know non-believers that are associates with the Holy Ghost. That's number three. And then you tasted the good word of God. Jeremiah 15, 16, what does it say? His words were found and I did eat them. And the word was to me the, rejoice, the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. So now you've also gone to the place to where you've tasted the word of God. You've experienced the word of God. You've walked in the word of God. Those, that's number four. But then also you taste the power of the world to come. That word powers of the world to come is dunamis, miracle working power. You've experienced the glorious power of God in your life. So those are the five-fold criteria, if you, if you will, before a person can commit this, what is called this sin, where there's no return from. You're not a baby Christian. It's, this isn't someone who's not a Christian who just, um, I just don't want to walk with God. Because see, he says second time, not first time. You can walk away from God. You can reject Christ if you want to. But once you come to him, and you've tasted of him, you've tasted of the Holy Ghost, you tasted the word of God, you experienced the power of God in your life. Now, if you fall away, and that word fall away is apostatize, apostasy, once again, to reject Christ after becoming a Christian, and that is an act of the will. It's not a sin as such that you commit, well, I just, uh, I stole a peach. That's not talking about that. That is someone that says, I am so tortured by this that I'm just going to throw it all away. I don't care anymore. I'm going back into my Jewish belief. I'm renouncing the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm turning my back on him. And I don't want him. I want this. A person can do that. Someone says, but what about the scripture that says no one can take him out of your hand? Well, anybody drive a car here? Do you always do the speed limit or do you go five miles over sometimes? If you're on a highway and it's 70 miles an hour, how fast do you travel usually? You're being kind. Now, if you're telling the truth, never mind. Can anyone take you out of that car while you're driving down a highway at 75 miles an hour? Anyone take you out of that car? Mm -mm. Can you jump out? Can you open the door and jump out? Yeah, no one could take you out of his hand. You can jump out if you want to. And that's what this is talking about. See, the persecution that they were encountering brought them to a place of decision. And many of them feared for their lives and then just recanted and went back into Judaism. And the writer is saying, look, it's not worth it. You want to spend your eternity in the lake of fire? There's no second time that you're going to come. Because you see, you re-crucified Christ to yourself. He'd have to come again and die again for you the second time. And he's not going to do that. But that's the fivefold criteria. And the point is this. Don't say you can't 
I don't like the term lose your, you can't lose your salvation like you lose a quarter. It's not, that's not even the proper terminology. No, you walk away from it. You fall away from it. You apostatize. You make a decision to turn your back on Christ. And people have done that because of the certain, certain, certain circumstances in their lives that they encountered. Now, Jesus is making it very clear to us, sin is destructive. So if it does hamper your walk with him, cut it off. Gouge it out. Remove it from your life. Because there's no good thing that's going to happen. You know, you've heard it said this way. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. I heard one preacher just say in an interview, I'm not called to preach against sin. I'm called to preach a wonderful message of God loves us. And God wants victory in our lives. I love that message too. But if you're a pastor, you've been called to preach against sin just as much as you've been called to preach victory in a person's life. Can you say amen? amen. Absolutely. No, that's a wrong statement. All right. Look at the uh, next set of scriptures here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth. Remember he said he wants us saved and to come to the what? knowledge of the truth after we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth there remains no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the end of adversaries he that despised Moses law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. And again, I heard it said, well, they weren't really saved. If that doesn't constitute salvation, I don't know what does. Sanctified, you were sanctified by the blood of Jesus. He was sanctified, counted it an unholy thing, and done so, here it comes, despite the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I think that we've leaned so much toward the side of he's a loving God. He's a caring God. He's, why would he send anybody to hell and that sort of thing? That the message down the middle of the road has been left out. Our young people need to understand something here. It's not about games and fun, entertainment and all that. You're facing a world that hates you. You're facing a devil who despises you. We are facing flesh that doesn't want to cooperate with God because it's under, under sin, the guilt of sin. Our flesh has to be crucified every day. So he is saying, make every effort, Peter said, every effort to walk blameless before the Lord. And when you miss the mark along the way, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to confess our sin. But look in connection with this being sanctified. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The warning of Hebrews is clearly seen right here. Or do you not know that, this is the NIV, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, 
neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What is he saying to them? That was your lifestyle before you got saved. And that was what you were. You were a swindler. He's not talking about you swindled one time. This was your lifestyle. This is how you lived. This is how you conducted yourself. And you had no conscience of it whatsoever because, you know what? When you're not saved, you don't have a consciousness of sin. You don't. But when you get saved, you do. So they were sanctified. And now he's saying, now that you're sanctified, you're washed in the blood of Jesus. There it is. Now you're a child of God. Well, what did he say here? They were sanctified by the blood. They counted the blood of Jesus by which they were sanctified, set apart, an unholy thing. In other words, it's like this. You don't think there's enough power in the blood to keep you from sin. You know, it's one thing to sing the song, there is power, power, wonder-working power. That's the closest I ever get to singing. But anyhow, <laughs> in the blood of the Lamb, it's one thing to sing the song. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, right? Well, what power is there in the blood then? To keep us from sinning. That's what it's there for. And if you sin, confess your sin. Because there's power in the blood to cleanse you from it. So here's the, here's the right perspective. You're not the libertarian. You're not the legalist. You're walking down the narrow and straight path. And you're saying, Holy Spirit, I know my flesh needs dealt with every day. I know the world needs to be resisted every day. And I know the devil needs to be resisted every day so he can flee from me. I'm still in this physical body of mine. And I know it has a tendency to get off the path to go this way or to go that way. So when I miss the mark and I do, I just want to thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me. But before I do, I'm asking that you empower me. You see, when Paul was told my grace is sufficient for you, that's another story right there that we got to get straight. He wasn't saying for you to bear up under some evil thing. He was talking about my grace empowers you. See, grace has to be seen as a divine enablement and empowerment. My grace is sufficient for you to stand against the opposition that's coming against you. My grace is sufficient for you to overcome whatever it is that's, that's manifesting in your life. So we shouldn't sit back with the idea that I can't overcome it. I can't overcome it. I can't overcome it. Whatever it might be. What we're supposed to be sitting back and just saying, I'm empowered by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God. I've got power in the blood of Jesus Christ that enables me to rise up victorious over it. I will not be victimized by it, praise God. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses, uh, it goes on down to the end of the chapter, 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by what? See, not by their works. My faith is in the blood of Jesus and its efficacy. It has power and ability to do what? To enable me to rise up above sin in my life, and so do you. But if any man draw back, there's that word again, apostatize, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto, what's the word? What is perdition? Destruction. Eternal destruction. But of them that believe to the what? The saving of the soul. So, I skipped this one verse, but I want to bring it out right now. 1 John 5, 16. Do you still got it there? This verse 
is a verse that it brings clarity to it all. In 1 John 5, 16, he says, if any man sins a sin that's not unto death, I ask that you can pray for it. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. That's the sin we're talking about here. If you let yourself get so involved in sin and it becomes habitual and you stay in it and you think you can't get out of it and you stay with it and with it and in it and in it and you let it dominate your life and take you down a path. You know what? The path that you're on when you walk in sin, when we walk in sin, myself included, all of us, if we, if we take the path of sin, guess what? There's no good thing at the end of the path. Do you remember the guy that was uh, sleeping with his stepmother? First Corinthians chapter 5, remember that story? It's there, right? It's in the Bible. And Paul says, hmm, I've judged the situation already. Since he won't listen, since he won't get off the path, because you see, he's over here as a libertarian. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm sleeping with her or not. I've accepted Christ as my Savior and everything is okay. It's all kosher. I'm all, it's all well. And Paul says, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, turn him over to Satan to destroy his flesh so his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, that's pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? In other words, he won't listen to you. He won't listen to me. He won't listen to reason. He won't listen to the word of God. He's living in it. This isn't a one-time thing. This is a habitual thing. You understand the difference? Just because you sold a piece doesn't mean you're a kleptomaniac or a robber that's going to be robbing for the rest of your life. You made a mistake. You did something wrong. Get under the blood and get back on the right track. But if all you do is steal and your life is a Bonnie and Clyde type of scenario, you remember those people or am I, too, am I dating myself? Okay. Well, then that is your lifestyle. If there's no conviction there and you continue in that lifestyle, that is a lifestyle of sin. He said, turn his flesh over to Satan. It's better for what? He be destroyed now. His flesh would die of whatever and he would repent and get it right with God. So he saved. God's concerned about our eternal well-being. And if it means a life is cut short because he won't do anything about controlling sin, then you know what? So be it. Well, this guy repented. He probably got sick. He was about to die. He repents and he gets restored back into the fold. That's what it took for this man to get out of his sin. So sin is a serious thing. Now, the word drawback, uh, I gave you Strong's Concordance, number 5289, is the same word, apostasy. And apostasy means you were saved, but then you made a decision at some point in your life. I've heard these preachers also say it this way. Well, how far is too far? You know what? You don't want to find out. You don't want to go there. Why do you want that kind of a rope anyhow? Just give me more rope. Just give me more rope. I'll get further and further and further and further and further away from Christ. Do you want to find out how far is too far? Because once the devil gets a hold of that person, then boom, look out. There's no return. Uh, look at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, as we bring this to a conclusion. God wills our sanctification and cleansing. There's no question about that. He wants us to crucify our flesh so that we could be holy people and blameless as we live our lives here upon the earth. Having therefore these promises of what? God living in us, God uh, manifesting himself in us in such a way we call him Father. Let us cleanse ourselves. Did you shower this morning? 
Hmm? All right, you showered last night. I'll give you that. Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, maturing holiness. How? In the fear of God. Why should there be fear? It's out of reverence for God. There should be such reverence for God that we fear the, the, the path of sin that we don't want to stay on that path. Because the end of that road, there's a bridge out. And I guarantee you, you don't want to go down where that bridge is leading. Look at John 13, 8 through 10. I think this will bring some clarity to what we're saying. Maturing in holiness involves washing our feet. Washing our feet. Peter, after Jesus got done washing the feet of the other disciples, he went to Peter and said, give me your feet, Peter. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, if I wash thee, not then you have no part with me. Simon Peter, you know, is exciting as he is, says unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But Jesus said to him, he that's washed needs not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. Well, what's he talking about? If you've been washed in the blood of the lamb, then you're clean. Your walk is on the dusty earth that you're living in. See, it was customary when someone came over to the house back in the day when they wore their sandals and all that, they walked on the dusty road, there was a basin of water. So when they came to the house, the servant came out and washed the feet. Didn't have to wash the whole body because they already had the shower. But the feet got dusty, so it was customary that they would, you know, just wash their feet. And Jesus was saying that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's, there's no need for you to have another bath. You don't have to get dipped in the blood again. Someone just needs to wash your feet. In other words, you got dusty. Some of the earth, some of the sin of the world maybe got a hold of your feet and your walk wasn't what it should be. And so all you need to do is wash your feet. How do I wash my feet? Look at 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all Sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we miss the mark, we don't need another shower. We don't need another bath. We just need to wash our feet. Because you see, the walk wasn't right. So, Father, forgive me for what I've done. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I did do that. You know what? Get your feet washed and get back on track with God. And some of these proponents of this extreme grace, they say that doesn't even belong to a believer. I don't even know where they come from when they can say something like that. I don't know about you, but I know that it's easy to miss the mark no matter who you are. Anything that's not faith is sin. What does that tell us? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? If it's not a faith, it's sin. Now, let's close by these Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Even say people can walk in darkness if they don't crucify the flesh and, ex and exercise uh, dominion over sin. Do you know we've been called to exercise dominion over sin? See, this is part of the walk that we really need to emphasize because he's coming for a clean church without spotting, uh, right, wrinkle. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God. 
as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? You're not under the law, but under what? You know what grace teaches us? It teaches us that sin has no dominion over us. Sin is divine enablement, empowerment for us to rise up above the sin. Remember at the beginning of the chapter, he said, well, shall we stay in sin so grace can abound? No, grace was given so that we can overcome sin. Okay, look at the other translations we have here. New Living. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not, gre do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And then look at the final one. This is the message translation. Sometimes I like some of these things that the message brings out. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Are you getting this? What's he telling us? He's telling us that we've been empowered by the grace of God to rise up above it and we can overcome it. So no matter what it is that tries to hold us under its control, it's time for us to take charge and rise up and just say no more. Look at the last two verse, last couple verses. Jesus, well, there's actually three, but look, look at these verses in Matthew's gospel. Jesus taught us that sin must be dealt with radically. If your right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and that all thy whole body should be cast into hell. And then look at chapter 10. And he that taketh not his cross and follows me is not worthy of me. And that's daily. And then Romans chapter 8. None of this is to present any condemnation or guilt in anyone's life. There is no condemnation when you're in Christ. But notice the language of the scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh. But after the Spirit. See, if we walk after the flesh as a Christian, you're going to be convicted. Right? And if you're not convicted, guess what? Then your conscience is seared. And that's a serious place to be in. A very serious place. Who walk not the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus made me free from the law of sin and death. So therefore, conviction is an indicator that tells us something is wrong. Something is wrong. It's almost like this. It is Come on up. It's like a shock collar. We have two dogs. I want to get a shock collar for one of them. It's a she. He's as calm, cool, collected as can be. But she mm, is a fiery little thing. I think she's got more of the Yorkie in her. Yippee yappy. <laughs> But when you get that shock, not, we're not doing it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Don't turn me in for animal cruelty or anything. We just talk nice to them and just, we, 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 we do it. 
The point I'm making is we all need a spiritual shock collar. We have one. It's the Holy Ghost. He's in us. And when we step out away from the right path, what does he do? Buzzes us and shocks us and says, uh-uh, this is the way walking in it. That's not the way. Don't go there. There's a voice behind us saying in our ear, this is the way walking in it. Not over here. Don't go that way. Don't go this way. And so praise God. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. And it starts with every single one of us as an individual. And what are we to say? Sin has no dominion over me. Hallelujah. It's not just living my life like whatever happens. It's just me. I'm going to die and I got an anger problem. No, 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 no. Italians have meatball problems, not anger problems. All right. Let's all stand together before the Lord.